Okay, so this reading is from Luke chapter 24, reading verses 1 to 53. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and all the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing them. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood, they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen even they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of them who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they were urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem 
and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought that he was and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of all these things. And behold, I am sending the power of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lauren. Good morning, everyone. He is alive. Jesus is alive. That is good news indeed. Uh, if you're visiting and you, uh, I'm aware that the, the demographic and the makeup of our church has changed a lot over the year uh, when we haven't been together. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Andrew. I lead the team here at Village South. Um, and if you haven't met me, I'd love to meet you. So um, please do get in touch and um, I'll give you details on how to do that at the end. Before we get into this long passage that Lauren read for us, thanks Lauren, I want to take a second to pray for Belfast. Um, in our own community in South Belfast, you'll have seen uh, rioting, um, just heartbreaking scenes then as well out, uh, in Newton Abbey in North Belfast last night as well. Uh, young people, kids, 13, 14-year-old kids being arrested. Um, and so, we believe that Jesus is alive, and that matters for things like rioting in our streets. Um, so let's pray. Uh, let's pray for Belfast, and then we'll we'll dive into this glorious message of the resurrection. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you care about Belfast. We want to thank you that that, that you care about every single person um, that has been involved in these things happening in our streets the last couple of nights. Uh, Lord, thank you that every. A single one of those young people that's been rioting, every single one of those older people who have been instigating that, every single police officer that's been involved, you know them intimately, and you love them, and you died for them, and you rose again to meet them. Um, Father, we just pray for peace in our city. 
We pray for calm heads to prevail. We pray uh, that compassion would reign. Uh, Lord, we pray um, ultimately that you would come quickly. Lord, you are the Prince of Peace. You rose again to establish your kingdom of peace. And and Lord, that's what we need. Um, Lord, we need your kingdom to to reign throughout the whole earth, including here. Um, So we pray that it would be in Belfast as it is in heaven. Lord, would we as the church um, know how to be the hands and feet, to reach out to people, um, to be a calm voice, to share the hope of the resurrection. Yes, Lord, just come and, and, and bring peace in our city. Um, and for our leaders and elected representatives too, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, yeah, thanks, Lauren, for reading that whole passage. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, obviously. Um, but um, important to read it all because it's so great. And, and actually, you're kind of thinking, well, we read this amazing thing and uh, around the... Um, resurrection and what happened after that, and we probably could just close the Bible now and go home, but in fact, we can't because it's totally possible to sit here, uh, really happy to be back in church, uh, amazed by what we're hearing, thinking about what Nathan led us through in the prayer, um, and it's totally possible to, by the time we get home, to have forgotten all about it. I don't know about you, but I am going to go home and eat my body weight in chocolate. That's my plan for the day. One of the great things about having children, if you don't have kids, right, this is what you don't know before you have kids, is that you suddenly have access to all these sweets and chocolate you never had access before because people give them chocolate and they can't eat it all, so I get some. So that's what I'm going to do today. And and when we do these things, we kind of just forget, we lose the significance of what we've heard and what we've experienced. Um, we, We get distracted. We get lured in by chocolate or by whatever it may be. And if we're not constantly being reminded and reminding ourselves of the significance of Jesus' resurrection, it just fades into the background, doesn't it? Like, I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't tend to walk around every day thinking about Jesus' resurrection, thinking about Luke chapter 24. Um, and before you know it, we're walking around acting like Jesus never rose from the dead. We don't let the, the resurrection impact our lives. And so the hard things in life seem harder because we forget that Jesus is alive. We invest our our time and money and efforts and energy and relationships into things that are temporary because we forget that Jesus is alive. The mundane things seem to have no purpose because we forget that Jesus is alive. And we may even find ourselves from time to time feeling that life isn't that exciting. Because we forget that Jesus is alive. So this morning, we want to remember. Let's remember that Jesus is alive. In fact, He's more alive than any of us in this room right now. Luke 24 not only tells us of the events around and after Jesus' resurrection, uh, but I think it shows us the significance of the resurrection. And we're going to see four things this morning. We're going to see that the resurrection really happened That Jesus' resurrection is the key to understanding the whole Bible. That the resurrection gives us a purpose. And that the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Lord. So the resurrection really happened. Here's the point that that I want to get across here. Probably the hardest point to get across. Is that the man, the human man, the human being, Jesus Born in Nazareth, or not born in Nazareth, he was obviously born in Bethlehem. I'm a Bible teacher. I do know where Jesus was born. I do know the basics of the nativity. Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, the man 
was really dead and really came back to life. The whole Christian faith stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. It's completely central because when Jesus rose from the dead, he proved that he, he is who he says he is. So think about it. Without the resurrection, who is Jesus, right? At best, you've probably heard these kind of arguments before. At best, he's just a kind teacher. Sure, a bit weird, but kind. who went around looking after sick people and a martyr who died for a cause that he invented. At worst, He's a liar and a lunatic. But the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. The third thing he says is, If Christ isn't risen from the dead, we are to be above all people most pitied. If the resurrection didn't happen, we are the most pitiful people in the world. And he's right, isn't he? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all of this is foolish. All of this is pitiful. We might as well pack up and go home now. But if Jesus did really rise from the dead, that proves that he's the Messiah. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, it means that death has been conquered. It means that, that, that there is a future that can be ours where death isn't our final destination. This is why the resurrection is central to our faith. And if you don't believe the resurrection, if you don't believe that Jesus actually physically, bodily rose from the dead, then you don't know Jesus. Not really. And when Luke, uh, Luke records these events of Luke chapter 24, he's trying to show that these things really happen. Now, what we know about Luke is that he was a scientific guy. He was a logical man. He was a doctor. And he records these things to show what really happened. This whole chapter has the hallmarks of, a, of eyewitness accounts, right? The details that are included here would only be included if someone was writing down what they, what they had seen and experienced. For example, or firstly, Luke includes the testimony of these women, doesn't he? Remember, we've read it a couple of times already this morning, so important is it? That... that, that, that the, the women are the first people to go to the tomb and see that it's empty and see the angels and go and tell others. Now, in, in the ancient Near East, a woman's testimony was worthless. Both in a Roman court and a Jewish court, uh, women's testimonies didn't count at all. They were worthless. So, so you have to ask yourself the question, if Luke and the other Gospels are, are trying to fake a resurrection. If they're trying to, they're trying to uh, pull a pull a wool over our eyes, why on earth would they include the, 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 the women's involvement in this? Why would they include their testimonies? If you want to fake the resurrection, you go and you record a testimony from the most powerful and influential men. That's what you do. The only possible reason that Luke would record that the women were the first to see the resurrection is because he's just simply writing down what happened. Also, the names he records. He mentions Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, Peter, Cleopas. These are specific names. Now, 
in an ancient document like this, you can think of names as a bit like footnotes, okay? So you'll be reading, a, if you ever read a book with footnotes, sometimes I read these academic notes and they're more than half the page footnotes, and I'm like, you're kind of cheating there. That's like half a page of footnotes. Footnotes are like names in the Bible. So in a footnote, if you read something, you want to know more about it, if you want to know more about this point I'm making here, look at the footnote, go and look at that article, go and look at that book. Names work the same way. If you want to know well, what I'm saying is true, go and talk to those people. Go and talk to Mary. Go and talk to Joanna. Go and talk to Peter. Go and talk to Cleopas. Names are like footnotes. Now, if you were, if you were faking, if you were trying to cover up your tracks or fake a resurrection, you, you would never include the names like this because it's traceable. You would want to, you would want to cover your tracks. Instead, Luke said, go and ask these people. They were there. They saw it too. There's only one reason to include the names like this because these things really happened. Another detail that points to the, the, the truthfulness of this account is the fact that, that there's food mentioned a couple of times. Jesus in this chapter, the resurrected Jesus, has two meals. He has one meal with the, with the, the disciples in Emmaus, which we'll come back to in a bit. Um, and the other meal he has is with his 11 disciples. It used to be 12, but we know that, G- that Judas was no longer around at this point. So you can just imagine all the events have happened. And it's the, the, you know, a couple of days after Jesus has died and was buried. And uh, they're probably sitting around talking about, they've heard these women come and say the tomb's empty. And they're talking about, what does this mean? Could he be, really be resurrected? Or what's happening? Did someone steal a body? What's going on? And Jesus appears in the middle of them. And they obviously think it's a ghost. As you do, they would say, oh, that's a ghost. And how does he prove to them that he is flesh and blood? Because it actually says that he says, look, look at my hands, look at my feet, touch me. Guys, come and touch me. And still they don't believe. And how does he prove to them that he is flesh and blood? He asks them for food. Guys, have you got any food? So they give him some fish. And they watch him eat it. It says that he eats it before them. And what's the point? Ghosts don't eat food. Dead people don't eat food. But Jesus eats food because Jesus is alive. Uh, Tim Keller, who some of you might have heard of, is a pastor and I think a philosopher um, in New York. And he, he, he says this. He makes this argument that if you want to make up a myth or a legend about your hero doing something uh, phenomenal, something extraordinary, you don't include boring details like a meal they ate, okay? Unless it has significance. So even think about the myths we have around St. Patrick, that he drove all the snakes out of Ireland, right? Okay, that's a big deal. That's how you create a myth. Not, uh, Not a meal that you have, not what they had for lunch. Like think of all those Marvel movies. They wouldn't sold anywhere near. They wouldn't have been so successful if it was just recording details of what they had for lunch that day. There's only one reason that that detail is in here. It's because Luke is simply writing down exactly what happened. Another simple detail is that when Peter runs to the tomb, he hears the women's testimony. He runs to the tomb, and in the tomb, he sees that the grave clothes, the linen cloth that Jesus' body was wrapped in, laid in the tomb. Now, let me explain why that's a significant detail. Because there were Roman guards, Roman soldiers placed to guard this tomb. 
Stone rolled over to seal the tomb, and Roman soldiers placed there to guard it. Now, if I was Jesus' disciple and I wanted to fake his resurrection, firstly, I'd have to go there in the middle of the night. Then I'd have to get past these two Roman soldiers. And if I did that, then I'd have to get the stone away from the tomb. And then I'd have to steal the body. If I'm doing all that and I want to get away in a hurry, I'm probably not going to unwrap the body, right? Also, it's a body that's been dead for a few days, so I'm definitely not going to unwrap it. I'm going to steal that body and get out of there. The only reason that, that this detail is included is because Luke is writing down what happened. All these details point to one fact that Jesus really rose from the dead. He was really dead, and now he's alive. And that's the challenge for all of us. No matter if you're a Christian or not, the challenge is, do we actually believe, do we really believe that Jesus actually came back from the dead? Now, I don't know if any of you have, or I don't know if you've been around a dead body. Um, Maybe you've been with a loved one that's passed away or something like that. And if you have, you'll know how impossible to our human natural sensibilities that that idea seems to us. If you have seen death, you'll know how other and not there a dead person is. How how gut-wrenchingly sad it is. Cold and heavy and empty are the words I would use to describe it. And what we have to grasp is that this was our Jesus. Our Jesus, old and heavy and empty. And then, at dawn, on the third day, his corpse, wrapped in cloth, lying in a tomb, came back to life. Now think about this. His cold, dead heart, lifeless, inside his chest, began to beat. Stiff fingers began to twitch and move. Empty, dark lungs, once again filled with air when he (gasps) took a breath. It's not a trick. It's not a myth. It's not an exaggeration. Jesus was really fully dead, and now he really is fully alive. He came back to life. Finley, uh, Finley, our boy, he's six. He he doesn't use the word resurrection. I guess he, um, I, I don't know if he knows it or not, but he always prays. He's like, thank you, Jesus, you died and came back to life. And then he goes to sleep. Like, that's it. That's his prayer. Imagine that was our prayer. Imagine we believed that. It's just fundamental of our faith. And if we don't believe that Jesus really was dead and really came back to life, then we haven't really got the point at all. And listen, there are probably certain parts of the Bible that you find hard to swallow, hard to deal with. We don't like what the Bible says about sex and gender and money and family and all these kinds of things that to our sensibilities we struggle with. But can I just say, if you don't believe that Jesus came back from the dead, don't worry about what the Bible says about the rest of the other stuff. It doesn't mean anything anyway. Our faith rests on not just the fact that Jesus died, but that he came back to life. Our Jesus, our friend, our husband, our brother, our savior, he was dead and now he's alive. 
resurrection really happened. But not only that, the resurrection is the key to understanding the entire Bible. Once we grasp that, that, that the resurrection really happened, once by faith we can believe that, it unlocks everything else, and, and specifically, it unlocks the Bible. Um, these two guys, these two followers of Jesus, on the way to on the the way to Emmaus, on walking out of Jerusalem, and I always feel sorry for these guys. Their friend had just died, but but more than that, their hope had died. Their hope of redemption was dead. They actually say to Jesus before they know who he is, he said, "We were hoping that he was going to be the one that would redeem Israel, and now he's been dead for three days." As far as they're concerned, that's it. Game over. They're actually packing up and going home. You see, they didn't understand that death wasn't an obstacle in the way of Jesus becoming a Messiah. In fact, his death and then his resurrection is the very thing that proves him to be the Messiah. And so, on the same road that just a week earlier, they had followed Jesus into Jerusalem in victory and celebration, they're now leaving Jerusalem, dejected, sad and defeated. So what was their problem? Because they had heard about the resurrection, hadn't they? Right? They tell, they tell us. They tell Jesus, well, we heard that the women came back and then we we even know that Peter went there and the tomb was empty. They'd heard about the resurrection. (laughs) They even knew all the scriptures. These are good Jewish guys. They, they, They would have been taught all the prophets. They knew what God had been promising for thousands of years. But their problem was that they hadn't accepted the resurrection so they could never understand the Scriptures. They had a limited understanding of the Bible because they didn't believe the resurrection. And this is just like us. Our understanding of the Bible will always be limited if we don't meet the risen Lord Jesus. These disciples had read the Bible and all the prophecies and they had misconstrued uh, them for their own purposes. They, they thought that the Messiah was going to be the one who would come and, and, uh, and defeat the oppressive Roman regime and, and restore Israel to full occupation of that region in the Middle East. How could he do this if he was dead? Resurrection didn't even come into their heads. They just couldn't believe it. And we do the very same thing. We try to make the Bible say what we want it to say and use it for our own purposes. And unless we're we're reading the Bible with the risen Lord Jesus as its object, we're always going to miss the point. Think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, before he was a Christian, was a Pharisee called Saul. And he persecuted and murdered Christians, right? That's what he did uh, because he was zealous for the Scriptures. He, he, he knew, he, or he thought he knew the Scriptures. So he killed anyone that was saying anything that he thought was against the Scriptures. But then what happens? He meets the risen Lord Jesus and it opens up his eyes and suddenly he can see that everything that was written is all pointing toward Jesus. And here's the point. Only when we meet the risen Lord Jesus can we see that all of the Bible is about Him. If you're a Christian this morning, when you read any part of the Bible, Old or New Testament, you can simply pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you, how does this point to Jesus? And listen, unless 
when we do that, when we see that every part of the Bible points to Jesus, it, it suddenly makes the, the, the thing, the parts that we disagree with, the parts that we struggle with, about sex or money or, or gender or whatever, it suddenly starts to help them make sense. Jesus opened their eyes, both the disciples on the road and then the disciples in the room, and he shows them that everything written about him in, in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, i.e. the Bible, must be fulfilled. So the resurrection really happened. The resurrection is key to understand the Bible, but also the resurrection gives us a purpose. Now, one of the things I love about this story in Luke chapter 24 is that when people, anyone hears about the resurrection, their first instinct is to go and tell someone else. I love this. Mary and Joanna and Mary, they find the, the, the empty tomb and the, and the angels there saying, why are, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And what do they do? They, they go straight from there and they go and tell the, the, the 11 disciples. And then when Jesus reveals himself to these two disciples in Emmaus, right? We already know it's late at night, or late in the evening. They're saying, look, it's nearly dark. Come and have dinner. So they'd gone to their house. And, and even when they experience the risen Lord Jesus, they can't wait until morning. They get up and they trek the seven miles back to uh, Jerusalem to share what they've seen and heard. As soon as they hear this message, they have one thing on their minds, and that's to share it with others. This news is too good to just sit on. We can't wait till morning. We've got to share it now. And this should be the response of everyone who meets the risen Lord Jesus. Anyone who hears and believes that Jesus is alive. This is a message that has to be shared. In fact, it's a command of Jesus. Listen to what he says to the 11 just after he's had his fish with them. So they don't believe him. Look at, look at me, touch me, still don't believe, have fish. So by this point, they're like, oh my goodness, he's eating food. So he's obviously real. He's here, he's here. We're starting to believe it. And this is what he says to them. He says, um, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus is saying, Listen, you've seen me alive. Now you're starting to understand these things. Go and tell others. Now you've seen me risen from the dead. Go and tell others. Go and be witnesses to all nations. The resurrection of Jesus gives them a purpose. Because think about this. If they hadn't met the risen Lord Jesus, what would they have done? How long would they have stayed in that room, confused, maybe starting to get angry? Can't believe this guy tricked us and led us along for three years, been following around not knowing what to do. They probably would have had to go back to their normal lives, try and get my job back on the fishing boat, whatever it may be. The resurrection, once they meet the Lord Jesus risen, it changes everything. It gives them a purpose because the resurrection is true. It means that all of the Bible is true and it means that Jesus who he said, is who he says he is and that has to be shared with the whole world. Resurrection gives us a purpose. Every single person who meets the risen Lord Jesus now has a job to do. Every, we, we, we talk about this a lot in village. Every Christian is a missionary. If you're a, if you're a Christian this morning, you're a missionary. 
Sorry if you didn't know that, but it's true. You have a job to do. Jesus says we are witnesses to these things. Now, what does a witness do? Uh, a couple of times I've had to be a witness in court, and it's, I don't know, it's kind of scary um, because you feel like you're in trouble. Sometimes even when I see the police in the street, I'm scared, I feel like I'm in trouble. Maybe I just have a guilty conscience, I don't know. But being in court is kind of scary because these are serious people doing a serious job with serious consequences. But a witness just simply shares their experience. What have you seen? What have you heard? What have you heard? And in fact, if you start to deviate from that, you'll be told that, that that's not relevant. That's not part of We just want to hear the facts. What did you see? What did you hear? Jesus says, you are my witnesses. We share with the world what we have seen and experienced. And if you are a Christian, if you've met the risen Lord Jesus, then this is now your primary purpose in life. So maybe you feel unfulfilled. Maybe you feel, uh, you, life didn't turn out the way I thought it would. It's not as exciting as, as I thought it would be, or, you know, I just don't feel that fulfilled. Well, I promise you that if you take this purpose seriously, you'll never be unfulfilled because you'll always have a job to do, a task given to us by our Lord, our King, by the one who has defeated death. And just this morning, I was thinking about... Um, the language that, that Mary uses when she meets Jesus in the garden, in, in, where the tomb was. You know, she sees Jesus, she thinks he's the gardener, and, and, and she, she says, you know, where have you taken my Lord? When, when Jesus, when she finally recognizes Jesus, she says, Rabboni, Master, Teacher. What if that was our posture, meeting the risen Lord Jesus? Lord, Master, Teacher, he's not a good luck charm. He's not a reason for a holiday when we're kind of getting over Christmas. That's not what this is about. He is our Lord. He is our master. He is our teacher. And we respond to him. He gives us this job to do. And if he says do it, we do it. And if, we, if this purpose becomes our primary purpose, we'll never be unfulfilled. Because this is a job that surpasses even the most fulfilling role that any of us will have in life. Because it's a, it's a job with eternal significance. Nothing you do in life will ever have such a lasting significance as telling people that Jesus is alive. But I have met the risen Lord Jesus. I was chatting to a friend the other day. And uh, he was telling me um, about losing someone, someone he loved that died uh, during lockdown. And that's obviously really hard because there's, you can't get to the funeral and all that kind of stuff. And I was just saying, I was able to share with him the reason why our suffering in life makes sense. Because Jesus is alive. Now, I don't have all the answers. I'm not a grief expert. But what I can do is be a witness and say, this is where my hope comes from. That Jesus was dead and now he's alive. So I know that death doesn't have to be our final destination. Simple as that. Our primary purpose in life isn't to be a parent, or a spouse, or a lawyer, or a doctor, or a teacher, or a barista, or whatever it is you do. Our primary purpose is to be a witness that we have experienced the risen Lord Jesus. But 
it's not just the purpose that the resurrection gives us. It gives us the message too, isn't it? The resurrection actually is the message. You see this right through the book of Acts in the early church. And a couple of years ago, I did a survey on all the sermons recorded in the book of Acts. And pretty much all of them culminate with what Jesus says here in Luke 24. They culminate with proclaiming that Jesus is alive and therefore you need to repent of your sins. That, that's what they, they all do. Uh, Peter preaching to the Jews, Paul preaching to the Gentiles, pretty much all culminate with this call that Jesus gives them in Luke 24. Jesus is alive. Therefore, repent and be saved. That's, that's what he says. The early church wasn't just characterized by a belief in the resurrection. The early church was characterized by sharing the news of the resurrection. And I wonder, can we say that about ourselves? Can we say that about this church? And I'm, I'm 100% challenging myself in this too. Do we believe it and share it? Or do we just believe it and sit on it? Because honestly, if we're not sharing it, we're kind of like the disciples in that room before Jesus came to them, right? We've heard the report from these women, these first gospel preachers. They, they, they come and, and they say, Jesus is alive. And then we sit down and discuss it. And we maybe get together once a week to discuss it. If we're not sharing it, if we're not living it, then we've entirely missed the point. Think about the things we share. Um, I was talking about this in the first gathering. Uh, one of the things that I get shared to me a lot these days is competitions on social media, right? Instagram and Twitter and so on. And so I get a notification on my phone. I'm like, oh, yes, yeah, popular guy today. Nope, another competition for something that I don't want. Get tagged in it. Um, or we share, uh, you know, like a movie we've seen or we tell people um, about, you know, football or send each other funny memes or whatever it may be. And there's nothing wrong with those things. In fact, the good things in life, the, the fun things in life are good because Jesus is alive. But, but let me ask this. Why is it that we are so willing, so eager to share these things, but are so equally unwilling to share the news that our friend who was dead is now alive? Our friend our Lord, our brother, our master, who was dead, is now alive. We have this most amazing news. Jesus is alive, and that means that there is hope for the world. You know, uh, the rioting that happened in the last few nights in Belfast, listen to a few people on news and a few commentators and stuff. People talking about how, um, you know, uh, Unionist or, nas or unionist national identity is is under threat, um, and you could equally equally say things on the other side, and that's not the point of my of what I'm making. The point is that that the, the message that Jesus is alive means that things like national identity can fade into insignificance. There's hope for the world. Jesus is alive, which means that one day there will be peace on the streets. One day there will be unity. One day there will be cooperation. Jesus is alive, which proves that death doesn't have to be our final destination. Jesus is alive so that, that everything God said about a future of peace and contentment and hope and, and love and justice is available to us. 
Jesus is alive so we can have a future without pain, without grief, without worry, without suffering. Isn't, isn't this worth sharing? I guarantee you those things I've said, there's not one person in the world who said, if I could make this happen for you, they would refuse it. We all want we all want a life without pain and grief and worry and suffering. We all want contentment and justice and love. And we get to offer this to people. Jesus is alive. The correct response to meeting the Lord Jesus is to share it with others. So the resurrection really happened. It's key to understand the Bible. It gives us a purpose. And finally then, in the last few minutes... The resurrection proves that Jesus is Lord. This last wee bit of, of chapter 24 tells us how Jesus was taken up into heaven. And there's loads of stuff about this that we would love to go into, that we could go into. It really importantly, like Jesus ascended into heaven in human bodily form, right? And that's important because God the Son took on human form and will have human flesh forever. And why is that important? Because that guarantees that an eternal future is possible for humanity. But that's not what I want to focus on. That's just a side point. That's, you, know, you can take that for free. That's for free. Bonus material. What I want to focus on here is the disciples' response. Verse 52, this is what he said. Jesus is taken up in heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Worship and great joy. That was their response. Now, here's the thing. These disciples, uh, they were Jewish men. And Jews could never accept that God could become a man. Uh, in fact, even today, the Jewish faith could not accept that God could be human. Jews couldn't even uh, say or spell the name of God. They leave out the vials, such as their reverence, such as their, their, their desire to keep God other. And yet, almost immediately, these Jews were worshipping a man. So what changed? The resurrection changed. That's what changed. The resurrection happened. They saw the man, Jesus, risen from the dead. And that changes everything. The resurrection proves that Jesus is God and therefore he deserves our worship. Now, if Jesus uh, didn't rise from the dead, then he does not deserve our worship. We shouldn't worship him. We have no cause to worship him. But let me put it to you. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then we have no choice but to worship him. Jesus, in his death, didn't prove that he was God. But in his resurrection, he proves that he is who he says he is. Because everything in this that was ever written about him came true. Peter, the Apostle Peter, uh, preaching on the day of Pentecost, says that because Jesus has risen from the dead, through his resurrection from the dead, God has declared him to be Lord and Christ. So the disciples are absolutely right to worship because his resurrection proves him to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So, of course, he is worthy of our worship. And the reason we worship Jesus is because he's alive. But not only did the disciples worship Jesus, they were full of joy. It says they returned to Jerusalem uh, with great joy. 
Why were they full of joy? Well, two things, I think. Firstly, because the resurrected Jesus ascended to heaven, and that proves that their sin is paid for. The resurrection is, is like a guarantee that their sin is paid for. I heard someone put it like this once a long time ago, and they said, imagine if you got charged with a crime. If I, if I committed a crime, and I got charged with that crime, and I got sentenced to five years in prison, when my sentence was served, and, and I had done my five years, I walk out of that jail, the law has no more claim on me. No one can ever say to me, Hi, you, you should be in jail. Because the, the, the penalty has been paid. It's done. There's nothing more to add. Now, what is the price for sin? The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. And Jesus went into death. And when he came up out of the grave, he thereby proved that the price, the penalty for our sin had been paid. He took the sentence and paid it. And his resurrection is the proof that the sentence has been paid. You understand? This is reason for joy. They see him ascending to heaven and they say, he is God. He is Messiah. Our sin has been paid for. Second reason for joy is that our suffering has a purpose and our future is secure. These two things are tied together. The disciples followed Jesus around for, for three years and it cost them. They had suffered and it was nothing compared to the suffering that they then would experience after Jesus had gone back to heaven and they received the Holy Spirit. But the resurrection proves that their suffering is not in vain. Most of these disciples would go on uh, to be uh, killed for their love of Jesus. And they did it gladly. Why? Because there's nothing that we can lose in this life that will compare in any value the future that lies before us. Jesus' resurrection means that death is not our final destination. And so there's nothing that we can lose in this life, even our lives, that can compare in value to what we'll receive in the next. You might think that you're missing out uh, on this, that, and the other because of you follow Jesus. Uh, uh, I sometimes Think about, like, you know, I had all these plans. I want to travel the world. I want to experience all these cultures and, and, and see everything. And um, sometimes I say, ah, oh, it'd be great to do that. But you know what? In a new creation, I'm going to explore all of creation with Jesus forever. I'm going to go into every nook and cranny. Dave Attenborough won't have anything on me, I guarantee it. We're going to experience that in all its fullness. The resurrected Jesus is living proof that you are not missing out on anything. And this is reason for joy. Now, here's where I really want to finish. And I can't believe I've gone over time. But just hear this this morning. What does the risen Lord Jesus mean to you? Do you struggle to believe that Jesus really did come back to life? Do you struggle to understand that he's the fulfillment of, of the scriptures of the whole Bible? Do you feel like your life lacks purpose? Or maybe you even feel like following Jesus is making you miss out on something. Well, here's what we see in Luke chapter 24. Jesus meets the needs of each of these groups of people he, he comes to. Think of the women. They come to the tomb with their spices and ointments in mourning and grief. And they leave rejoicing. 
the risen Lord Jesus elevates their status from second-class citizens to the most privileged heralds of the world's greatest ever news. Jesus meets Cleopas and the other disciple on the road in their, in their grief and disappointment, their hope gone. And he reveals, them as, he reveals to, to them himself as the fulfillment of the Bible and he gives them eternal hope. He turns their confusion into clarity. He draws near to them, breaks bread with them. And finally, there's the eleven. Jesus' closest companions for his entire ministry on earth. And he meets them just where they are. Their confusion and their disarray. <laughs> he says, lads, I've got a purpose for you now. He gives them a purpose. And not only that, he fills them with great joy and with worship. And this is what our risen Lord Jesus does. He meets us in our need. So what are your needs this morning? You need to believe that he really rose from the dead. He's here to say to you, I really rose from the dead. And I'm about to have a meal with you to prove it. Struggle to see, to see how he fulfills the scripture. He says, I'm here to show you that I'm the fulfillment of the scripture. Whatever it is in your mourning, in your grief, in, in, your, in your joy, he is here. The risen Lord Jesus is here to draw need to you, near to you in your need. Jesus is alive. Amen? Uh, I'm going to get Lauren and, and uh, uh, Tom to come up, um, and we're going to sing and, and take Lord's Supper. But before I do that, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, we greet you as you walk out of the tomb. We thank you that you went through death so that we never have to. Lord, we thank you that you experienced the wrath of God so that we never have to. We thank you that you defeated death so that we don't have an enemy anymore. We thank you that, 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 that the battle has been won. Father, we thank you that you're alive. And that means that death does not have to be our final destination. Lord, uh, give us faith to believe these things. Give us faith to receive you. May our lives be changed. May our lives, uh, going home, going wherever we're going today, Lord, uh, be, be different because we've met the risen Lord Jesus. May the resurrection, your resurrection, impact and infiltrate every area of our lives. Fill us with hope. Give us, give us a purpose, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We're so glad that you're alive. In Jesus' name, amen.